Kate, and welcome to Two Pastors <laughs> Take a Walk <laughs> Again Someday and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. And one day we will get to walk again. One day we will take a walk again. Um, I want to say again for the great cloud of witnesses that I have been running a lot. And so you, friend, better get out there. And I have not been running. I have been in the house doing lots of good things, but I have not been running. And so, yeah, I better get get on it. I I fear that you have many weeks to catch up with me. So, (laughs) Um, So what is astonishing you these days? Well, like many pastors these days, I have been, uh, uploading videos on YouTube and Facebook and um, other platforms. And I'm astonished that uh, some of my friends around the country have been contacting, calling, texting me, saying things like, when, or asking, when did you become so traditional? And these are not critics. These are my friends who I've known a long time and who love me and care about me and I them. But apparently, um, my preaching, my theology, my biblical interpretation comes across to many of my friends as very traditional. And part of me wants to say... um, do you not know me? Have we not been <laughs> friends for years? Uh, because I've always seen myself in the category of, you know, it's about sin, salvation, Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit empowering the Christian life. Uh, sometimes instead of Holy Spirit, I like to say Holy Ghost. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm, I'm just that kind of a preacher. But at the same time, that leads me, that same theology, that same preaching, that same biblical interpretation does not lead me into conservative politics. And so I think that is is confusing some of my friends, most of whom are politically very progressive. And, um, and But my own personal experience is that if you set me down in the midst of a group of people who know themselves to be both theologically and politically conservative, they would listen to me and say, you ain't one of us. And if you set me down in the midst of a group of people who know themselves to be theologically, politically progressive, they would also say, you ain't one of us. So um, once again, I feel like I'm going through a bit of a of, I don't know if I should call it an identity crisis, but I am, I'm astonished that they are so astonished by my preaching and teaching and biblical interpretation. Um, and I, I, I didn't realize I was coming across so 
traditional. Uh, and that, that's, that's the word I've been hearing, traditional. Like, well, right. But I mean, if they're using that word, they're, they're using it with some connotations because, I mean, A, traditional, I mean, you're not, they're not talking about like rituals because those correct. aren't um, visible right now anyway. And you're not a ritualistic traditional person. So if you're saying traditional, i.e. faithful to the core of the text, then A, I would say the core of the text is inherently radical, like revolutionarily radical. Yes. And B, I, I just, I mean, this is not my astonishment, but just listening to you, it just makes me astonished and so sad the way that the secular culture wars have been imported into not the actual body of Christ, but the church and how we have so easily traded, you know, ushering in the kingdom and partnering with God or being filled by God to do the work of redeeming all creation for a side in the culture war, whether that's the progressive side or the conservative side, you know, people who would say, well, I'm for righteousness and others who would say, well, I'm for justice as if, as if these things could ever be separated. And as if the core of the gospel isn't grace anyway, I mean, anyway, like it's not personal righteousness or corporate justice. Although I believe grace is the conduit and catalyst for both of those things and new birth. And I mean, I just, it just makes me sad. Like, I mean, it makes me sad that people who are leading congregations in other places, that that's the conversation that people want to have. I don't know. This is not what's interesting, isn't it? I, I, um, I, um, and I guess if I were to step back a bit and, you know, kind of honestly take a look at myself and what I really believe, it probably, it probably is fair to put me in the traditional category, but I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't walk around with that self identification, uh, that, well, that label. I mean, it's just, again, I would say it's just a matter of what people mean when they say traditional, because I mean, there are tons of people who would want to say, well, the, the way that I express the gospel in my life either is traditional or is not traditional. And that's what it means. But I mean, if, if by traditional, you just mean faithful to the core revelation of Jesus, then that's transcends all of those labels. Anyway, I don't know. People can call me traditional all they want. (laughs) I think, I think folks were, I think folks were responding to uh, the things I put out during Holy week from Palm Sunday to good Friday to Easter Sunday. And that, and for me, that really is about, um, you know, substitutionary atonement, um, sin, forgiveness, um, coming new heaven and new earth, a redemption accomplished by Jesus. It is not simply about going to heaven when we die, but about heaven invading earth and um, um, uh, 
my language, not really biblical language here, but fixing the fall. That's how I, I, I like to put it. And um, yeah, that's, that was, that was really all I talked about last week. And so I think a lot of folks, a lot of my friends, and again, these are my friends and not my critics and not all pastors, which is so interesting to me. These are friends who are both pastors and, and who do other things for a living. And uh, <laughs> when did you become so traditional? I'm like, how long have we been friends? Well, I just don't know what else you're going to talk about in Holy Week other yeah. than those yeah. other, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, anyway, so what's astonishing you? Well, um, I guess I would just like to preface my answer to the question. Oh, um, this is going to be good. Whenever you preface, I, <laughs> I always anticipate a real gift. Uh, so, yes, go. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Well, no, it's all right. I think the preface is probably more of the gift than the actual answer. But I would just say that um, I mean, we were saying before we started recording that um, just checking in with one another. And I, I mean, I have just sort of wild variations in terms of how I'm feeling about things. I mean, there are moments when I just, I mean, big chunks of time where I'm, I'm good. And I, um, there's lots of goodness in my life right now. And, um, in fact, if I, you know, weren't worried about other people, both those I know and those I don't know, if I weren't concerned about, you know, the ripple effects that this has on the future, I, I would be fine. Um, and then there are other moments when I just sort of am personally, emotionally, spiritually just tapped out and um, feeling overwhelmed and pessimistic and just uh, apathetic. And, and I, you know, I just go just up and down the hill all day, <laughs> cycling all day long. Wow. Um, and I, it feels, um, you know, even if I have moments of astonishment and, and I, and I don't really naturally have as many right now as I would normally do. It also just feels really, um, I don't know, kind of, um, tone deaf even to talk about them in the sense that people, people are, people are just really, really hurting and suffering. And, um, I don't, you know, part of being with people and accompanying with people is like, not that you, I mean, you don't take other people's pain on you and you realize that things that are happening to other people are happening to them and not you, but you sit next to them and you, and you care and you don't like start talking about your mountaintop spiritual experience, you know? So, um, you know, it, it is hard even to talk about what astonishes you right now because it feels like it runs the risk of rubbing salt in the wound. Um, and I just want to say that, um, you know, it's important to say that this isn't natural for me to, um, seek out what is astonishing me and name it and give thanks for it. It's not, I'm not a Pollyanna person, but I really do feel like the things that give us life, when that sustain us um, often aren't the things that are coming naturally to us. And I believe that God is good and God is present and God is doing the work of redeeming and revealing and resurrecting all around us. And that 
now more than ever, it's important that as we don't close our eyes to suffering and as we, you know, weep with those who weep, that we also are even more intentional about practicing awe and astonishment and, and, and naming that too and holding it um, because the whole world is not woe. Um, and also not to say, oh, I'm good. <laughs> um, so that's a long preface. Um, to say I'm doing this as an act of will and not emotion, even though, you know, personally, my family and I, we're, we're okay. But um, anyway, what is this, what I am, what I am in awe of, what I am just recognizing the holiness and gift and beauty of, actually, I am astonished at how people miss one another. And that in, in the midst of the pain of it, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not discounting that it's, it's hard and people, it's hard to miss someone and to be alone and to be isolated. But on the other side of it, I, I am choosing to sort of notice what a, what a revelation and what a gift it is, how much we matter to each other and, and how much, um, like, I'm glad that there are not really anybody that I know of who's saying, you know, thank goodness I'm just with my family <laughs> and I don't, you know, I can stay here and get food delivery. I mean, like, it's just good to see. I'm astonished at how much we miss one another because honestly, when we're, when things are good or when things seem good and life seems quote normal, you know, we do a lot of kind of clever quipping about how, you know, people drive me crazy and I can't deal with so-and-so and I just, you know, um, and so it, it's just good, um, there's a gift in missing one another and there's a gift in understanding that we miss one another because we love one another because we need one another. And I'm not sure that we are really um, aware of that. Um, some of us, sure, but not everybody. And it's just good um, to see that we miss one another, to see that we love one another, to have this sort of visceral experience of how much we belong to one another and complete one another. And that's um, really beautiful. And, and I think is a um, surprise to a lot of people that it's not just the extroverts like me who miss people. It's, it's everybody. It's like the Barbara Streisand song that I <laughs> will not sing. People who need people are the luckiest people in the world. Got it. Okay. We're all, we're I all was, people who I need was... people. I was thinking of that song um, all by myself, uh, but I was like, that's not Barbara Streisand, is it? <laughs> that is not, that is not, but that is the, the opposite of what I was thinking of. Anyway, so that is, I, I, I do not like being separated and I am so glad to see that we do miss one another. Mm. And um, I don't want to skip over the goodness of what that reveals, that no one's saying like, hey, now we can just worship online. <laughs> I don't ever have to come together again. Like, people really miss one another. And that's, um, I don't take that for granted. I'm astonished and in awe at that. Interesting that you say that because I was cruising through um, pastors on Periscope Live the other night. And uh, yes, I do have a Periscope account. And um, I know it's unbelievable. I now have a Facebook account and that's... Dude, I don't even know what Periscope is. So <laughs> Periscope, um, it is a platform by the same folks who I think they also own Twitter. But um, basically, Periscope is a platform on which people um, 
go live with their comments, their services, their whatever they want to broadcast. And then it, the platform also saves your video. And so people can watch it later. And so, um, uh, well, I bet our, everyone is just using that responsibly. Oh, there's a lot of craziness on Periscope. Uh, I'm sure. I'm uh, and it's, sure. it's much more popular, um, in, uh, the West. I think it's gaining some popularity in the East, but, um, Anywho, I was uh, just cruising through the other night to see what people were saying, and it was fairly late at night, and so you cruise through some of the craziness. And a pastor cruising Periscope late at night does well, not sound <laughs> well. <laughs> it was I just wanted to know what people were saying, right? It sounds like and a so recipe for disaster. This, this one pastor was talk. I mean, really very angry about this current moment, about people worshiping online and pastors putting videos online saying that this is going to be the downfall of the church, that this was not faithful, this was against God's will, that... Wait, I'm sorry, can I just point of clarification? This is a pastor making a video and putting it online well, to complain <laughs> about how unfaithful yes. it is for pastors to yes. make videos and put well, them online. Well, they, they were saying specifically about worship, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, this person was saying that we ought not to listen to the scientists. We ought not listen to the government. And Christians need to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. And we need to be meeting in our churches now. And I thought, oh boy. Um, uh, so, so there, there are there are voices out there saying that in this moment where we are missing each other, the reason we're missing each other is because we're being unfaithful. And of course, I don't think that at all. But it is, it is, um, it's, it's strange. It's it. You hear a lot of wild comments in terms of how the church should be responding to this moment. Well, <laughs> not everyone who calls Lord, Lord. <laughs> so, I, I, yes, you hear a lot of strange comments, and many of them come from my home state of Kentucky. And yet, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the gospel is power, and people are going to use power mm. in lots of different ways, and not all of them are faithful. So uh, moving on, what are you thinking? I am thinking about the new habits that this season is helping me to develop. Um, and well, specifically, habits not just for me, but for my whole family. Like, we, my wife and I don't cook. As a matter of fact, when we were dating, <laughs> she said to me, Now, let me tell you something. If you are looking for, you know, a, a cooking wifey. I'm not the one. And I was like, that's okay. You know, we, we both work and we'll go out to eat and you know, that's fine. And so that's been a, that's been huge in our family. We, we eat out a lot. Um, I go to Starbucks a lot and this, um, this season of course has us home and, we're developing these new habits of, you know, we make coffee at home, we make all our meals at home, and um, and we're not cooks, but it's it's okay, it's going fine, and I don't really miss the restaurants. I 
You know, I like going to Starbucks um, because I, I miss uh, uh, some of the baristas I see every day. And, you know, they know my name. I know theirs. And um, I miss the community of it. But I don't miss, I don't miss, I, I, well, I just don't miss the habit of going there. And so I'm, I'm just thinking about all these new habits that I'm developing that's causing me, us to save money and um and I don't think they're going to be changing anytime soon, even if we go back to quote unquote normal in June. I think there are just going to be some things that um, I develop in the season personally that we develop uh, as a family, that we develop as a, a church family, that w- habits that we're just going to continue even after this current crisis is over. And um, I'm, I'm really excited and, and grateful for that. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, yes, to all of that. I, I plan to go to Starbucks as frequently as I went before, but, but um, my spouse long ago broke me of the habit of eating out a lot because his opinion was always, it's just no fun with the kids anyway. <laughs> like, why would we pay a bunch of money <laughs> to go somewhere and be stressed about our kids? freaking out and sort of uh, yeah. keeping other people from enjoying and they're not eating their food anyway. And so it's just, uh, we, we've never been real eat out people. So. Yeah, um, we were a, let's see, one, two, three. We are probably a four night a week family, at least. Yeah. At least four or five times a week. Yeah. No, no. Well, the restaurant industry is really going to miss you, friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, but uh, it's it's good to be home. It's good. I yeah. like being home. I I'm fairly productive. I I like the people who are in my house, <laughs> which yeah. is great. And um, yeah, and so, I I have always liked cooking because a I control it and b you know, with so much of what we do, with the exception of Sunday morning worship, which does have a sort of finite beginning and ending, and there are just tasks associated with them. And you, mm-hmm. but I mean, so much of the this life, which I love of pastoring, it's so, I mean, you just, it doesn't, there are endpoints, right? Like if you're trying to be intentional about, you know, cultivating spiritual growth in yourself and in other people and discipling other people. It's not like you ever reach a day and you're like, mm-hmm. well, did that, <laughs> you know, it's just this, you do this work perpetually trusting that it will have results that you can't always see or measure. And so, you know, I love coming home from a day of sort of feeling uh, busy and ineffective to be able to make a meal that you just you created something and it wasn't there and now it is and it's done and you immediately know whether it was good or bad and then you clean it up and do it again tomorrow and there's something just really um just really uh good for me emotionally spiritually in that work so i was already on that train i do think i mean to your larger question i mean all of us i think would be um we would really cheat ourselves if we weren't asking ourselves often during this time, what, what, what do I want life on the other side Mm. to look like? And to say, I just want it to look like what it looked like before. Would it be really to cheat ourselves out of 
um, a gift of growth and yeah. fruit. Um, so I think that's just the right question. And I think everybody's answers are going to look different and that's okay. Um, but we've had this huge disruption in our lives and what we believe is that, you know, I, I don't, I don't personally believe that God caused it, but I do believe that God is in it with us. And I do believe on the promise from Romans that, you know, all things will work together for good. And so to say, you know, what goodness can I carry out of this season that I didn't carry into it as a testimony to God's goodness and tenderness and faithfulness and love. And so I don't want to, I don't want to abandon those gifts after we've paid the price for them. And so wondering what normal looks like on the other side, I think is really, really helpful just to sit with that question and, and not rush to an answer either personally or in our families or, or in our churches. I also, though, it's just hard because, um, I, I find it difficult to do, um, deep thinking in this season. And, um, so knowing that, that that's a, a, an opportunity and also just feeling like stirring that pot is pretty overwhelming right now, but anyway. So what are you thinking about? Um, I mean, this is just a, a lighter, or I mean, just the less uh, cosmic <laughs> train of thought. But I was um, uh, re-reading, or actually, I think reading for the first time. I I grabbed a bunch of books from my shelves on at my office at the church and just brought them home with me. Um, and so there are just a lot of books that I have that maybe I've re- read a part of, or maybe not even read at all. I just pick them up at some time and then, and so it's been good. Um, and one of them is, um, a book by Rob Bell, who I like, I like, I appreciate his voice and the way he looks at the world. Um, like anybody, I don't agree with him on everything, but he's, a, um, been a, his work has been a gift to me. And one of his books, which doesn't get as much noticed is called Jesus wants to save Christians to which I say, amen. And he, and sort of the whole book is about ways that we, um, you know, a lot of times we, we believe in our understanding of the Bible and we believe in our understanding of Jesus. And so we, we have truth, but it's not really in us, or we've been taught to understand, um, you know, some things correctly and other things just not at all. And honestly, so much of what, um, many of us know, I mean, the Bible is just so deep. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, we learn something in our fifth grade Sunday school class about the Exodus. And then we go like, okay, I get it. <laughs> like, I know what the Exodus is. It was, you know, God saving the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt. They crossed through the Red Sea. That's it. I know the story. And, and so he is just in this book going back um, to Genesis and doing a really broad retracing of big themes of scripture and, and how Jesus is the fulfillment. Um, I mean, you'd love it because I mean, he's starting with, you know, Genesis and and talking about, um, you know, Adam and Eve rejecting God's guidance and, um, boundaries and talking about Cain and Abel with, you know, Cain being the farmer and, I'm sorry, Cain being the shepherd and Abel being the farmer and that how it's, you know, on on all the other things that it means, it's also this deep story about, you know, a culture transitioning from a nomadic, um, nomadic, peripatetic life to a settled 
agricultural life and just the tension between those ways of living and, and about how, um, I mean, just, just a lot. Um, and, but the thing that I love, and, and he talks a lot about the Exodus narrative, um, which I have said a lot from the pulpit that Exodus is really the first story of the Bible and that Genesis is prologue, but Exodus is just, you know, God's intervening and saying, you know, it, there is a cult of empire that enslaves and commodifies humans and God hears the cries of the oppressed and reaches down and sets people free. And that's who God is. And, um, and saying that, you know, when God brings the Hebrew slaves out of captivity, he brings them out of captivity and chooses them and makes them a nation to shine a light and break the curse of Eden and show a different way um, to live in the world other than the using violence to control other people and, and um, slavery and oppression. And when, oh, and this was really cool. He was talking about when David's son, Solomon begins to build the temple of God using slave labor to do that work, that it's just this fundamental betrayal of the people that um, the chosen people were chosen to be and um, using all this really interesting stuff about how when people in the gospels call out to Jesus as the son of David, that is basically lifting up Jesus as the anti-Solomon, right? As the one who doesn't use his power to oppress, but anyway, lots of, I mean, just a lot of really cool um, thematic um, broad ways of seeing intersections of stories that I think we tend to learn as kind of discrete episodes. And it's just really fun to see this big overview. But one of the things that really I've been thinking about a lot um, is, and he does, and all of this is of necessity. I mean, the whole book is like 150 pages. So he's not going in depth anywhere, which is fine. Um, But he does a little bit of talk about Exodus and talking about, um, or rather Sinai and talking about covenants and um, looking at the the 10 commandments. And you know, in my house, um, one of the things that's really important to me, um, and one of the things that we really, um, try to pass on to our children is, um, is just the way we use the name of God. And we, we really, um, try to keep that commandment of not misusing the name of God and not casually using the name of God and not, you know, talking about dropping the milk and then saying, oh my God, or being mad at someone to really, it's good to talk about God and it's good to ask questions about God and it's okay to be real and be angry at God. But when we're using God's name, let us be talking about God or to God and just honor how we use, how we, um, how we use the name of the Lord. Um, and that's just always been probably something that I've been really more traditional, literal about, um, than a lot of other people. And, um, also it's interesting because he was saying that, um, his interpretation of that is it's not how we say God's name, but how we carry God's name. And then he's talking about, we need to be intentional about how we're carrying God's name. And of course that connects to all the work that he's doing about the chosen people turning out not to be chosen, right? So that they carry the name of God, but they, but they support the culture of empire and and death dealing empire and peace through the sword and oppressing and commodifying people. And that is, was just interesting for me 
to look at that commandment and realize that, you know, I'm always a little, honestly, prideful about how I control my speech when it comes to naming God, like I'll curse, but I won't use curse using God's name and thinking like, oh, I'm done. That's me taking that commandment seriously. And then realizing like, oh my goodness, like it's not about what we vocalize. It's about I, you and I, um, and most of the people listening to this podcast are people who have chosen to carry the name of God, right? Like we have chosen to um, identify ourselves with Jesus and claim the name Christian. And um, and we just um, need to be aware not only of how we swear or how we, um, you know, the expressions we use, but just how our whole lives carry Jesus's name. And if they're more conformed to the secular culture than they are to the values of the kingdom of God, then we are breaking that commandment. And like, just honestly, like I've been thinking a lot, even as we live through this pandemic about like, you know, I've been ordering things for my family on Amazon and, you know, things that help my kids pass the time and not, not always things that are classically essential. And then I'm also just very aware that there are people working in those warehouses that are not, safe in those warehouses and, you know, just how this particular company, which I mean, could be any major company, just the repercussions of its culture on really vulnerable people. And what does it mean for me to carry the name of Jesus and yet participate in systems that I know for sure are, you know, strengthening the bonds of oppression on really vulnerable people. And what does it look like for me to carry the name of God in a way that challenges those systems, not in a like puff myself up, I'm a social justice warrior kind of person, because I'm not. I mean, I wish I were, but I'm not. Um, But I just, I don't know. It just really was a moment of conviction for me. And I'm trying not to feel bad about it and move on. Like I'm trying to say, okay, if that's real, then where am I trying to be intentional about structuring my life in a different way and trying to adopt new patterns and habits simply because I'm trying, because I do carry the name of Jesus and I want my life even imperfectly and maybe even ridiculously to show evidence of an attempt to be living by the laws of the kingdom of God and not just being satisfied by the fact that I didn't get arrested last week, you know, so that is what I'm thinking about. Wow. Um, and I, I, I know that book that you are, um, talking about, as a matter of fact, I remember that was back in the days when, Rob Bell was still uh, loved and welcomed yes. by the evangelical <laughs> community. And um, I remember um, I was doing a lot of traveling, a lot of driving in those days uh, when that book came out. And so I remember listening to the audio book. And um, uh, like you, I was captivated by the title and the title just resonated with me. I thought, yeah, the, the, a, exactly. So I wonder what he has to say. And um, yes, I remember uh, lots of talk about the Exodus, and um, primarily what I remember was that, um, you know, God brought 
Israel out of Egypt and then had to work to get Egypt out of them. And it is the same with us believers that we we are are saved, yes, but there is still saving. There is still work to be done in us. And oftentimes we who have been in the church a long time, uh, we just get this mentality. It's like, you know, almost, we, we, we would never say, we would never ever say that we have arrived, but we can live as if uh, we have arrived in a place where we really don't have to do any kind of deep diving or deep examination of how we live. And certainly not the kind of things you're talking about with, you know, purchasing online and how that affects vulnerable people that just doesn't, we just, we just don't go there. And because that kind of thing is really complicated because at the same time, you know, we're purchasing things online, which contributes to, people needing to work in a warehouse that may be unsafe in the season. It also um, helps to provide jobs, which keeps uh, vulnerable people, vulnerable people working. And, um, but I, I think wrestling with those issues is just really, really faithful. And the Holy Spirit is good and faithful to help us discern and navigate uh, what I think are, are, complicated issues. Well, and that's why, I mean, I think for me, it comes full circle to like, why are you preaching um, atonement and sin and repentance during Lent? And this idea that I think for so many people in, again, not the body of Christ, but the church, we have settled for picking a side in the Christian version of the culture wars and then thinking where we've arrived, right? So I'm on the right side, I'm on the justice side, progressive side, or I'm on the right side, I'm on the, you know, um, personal righteousness and um, personal holiness and responsibility side. And we think like, good, I'm done. And, and, you know, and people who are, who are, I mean, and this is just another place where it's just such a tragedy that the body of Christ is so easily and cleverly divided by, the enemy of our souls, because of course, you know, there's an element when you take the spiritual pride out of the equation, there's an, there's a huge element of truth in both sides, right? That people who really want to call out systemic injustice and want to cry out on behalf of the poor and the, they're right. Of course they're right. But they often then want to say, whatever I personally do in my personal life, how I, um, excoriate people or talk trash about people or, or look down on people. That doesn't matter. And people on the other side who would say, you know, I don't know from, you know, Amazon workers, but I will never swear and I don't drink and I'm always kind to the people that I directly meet. You know, I mean, it's just, those things aren't, those are two halves of a whole that we can never, can never walk in other than through the through the transfusion of grace, which is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And, and even with that, our sincere attempts to walk in holiness more than anything else just reveal to us our sinfulness and our brokenness and our deep need to run back to the cross. And I just feel like anybody who the deeper they walk in life with Christ, anybody who doesn't come both more and more convinced of their belovedness and the peace they have with God, and also more and more convinced of their wretchedness and need for um, 
just salvation that comes externally from God and not from, you know, an innate goodness. I mean, you're just not paying attention. Mm-hmm. If And I think a lot of times paying attention requires living in the tension of both being loved and needing salvation and needing radical ultimate change. And we just don't, we don't do well with tension and um, with, you know, paradox. So. Well, one of the um, disciplines, one of the habits I've invited our church family to embrace is that of preaching the gospel to yourself. And I remember when I first started talking about that, people would look at me like, what are you talking about preaching the gospel to myself? First of all, the gospel is for those people out there who need to know <laughs> Jesus. I was like, well, yeah, but it's also for you too. And you know, one of the things that I shared with um, our church family one morning is, you know, I, I was having people, you know, at least once a month, maybe more, say things to me like, boy, you have a lot of energy on Sunday morning. You must have had your coffee. Or when I come in uh, into the worship space on a Sunday morning, just really energized and ready to worship, I'll hear someone say, oh, you must have had your coffee. You must have stopped at Starbucks. And I mean, usually that would be true. I would have my cup of coffee. But finally, I had to say to people, look, you know, I I, I love that we joke and play around and, you know, you guys kid me about a lot of different things, but I need to let you know that my energy on Sunday morning is not about the coffee because yeah. what one of the things I do on Sunday mornings as I'm driving in to worship, I've about a 40-minute drive, one of the things I do every Sunday is I just preach the gospel to myself. I, I just remind myself of what Jesus has done for me and who I am in him. Um, that any kind of giftedness to preach or teach or to lead in worship, any just the just the the gift of being able to gather with God's people in that assembly, to be in the midst of God's people on a Sunday morning to worship, to do what we do, that's all a gift given to me through the gospel. And I just remind myself of those things on Sunday morning. And that is incredibly energizing. And one of the things for folks in, you know, our part of the body of Christ being the Presbyterian church is that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Number one, because for me, it, it energizes us. It it grounds us um, uh, and, and pulls us away from a spiritual pride but it also reminds us what we truly have to offer the world. Um, mm-hmm. and, and for me, it's just a super, super simple and important and powerful discipline. Just preach the gospel to yourself. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the tough thing is, is a lot of us probably, probably couldn't. And that's why we're kind of continually hopping from sort of trendy, hot, thing from one to the next instead of being able to really know for ourselves what is it in this revelation that I um that is true for me that I cling to and that after having made that leap I see the truth bearing fruit in my own life I mean we need to know that and I think for so many people we we as pastors have really focused on getting people involved in the church <laughs> instead of 
saying, you know, I need people to, to know the gospel. I need people to make a, I, I want to invite people to, to really see the beauty of it, the astonishing, um, you know, stumbling block, glorious beauty of it. And then to, to make a leap for that, not because it seems true, but in a, you know, could it be true? What if it's true kind of way to, you know, to make that leap, knowing that the only confirmation would be the spirit and not, you know, certainly not the world as it is. And certainly not, you know, the church, even I love my church. It's beautiful, but it is not, I don't believe in it. I I believe in the Jesus who sustains it and whose presence I see, um, you know, evidenced in it. And, you know, certainly knowing the truth of, of Jesus and living out the gospel can involve being, being involved in the church, but that is a, you know, a means to an end, not, not the end. And so I, I mean, I think that's really real. I mean, some people would say that's just an old fashioned way of sort of giving testimony or like to go way back (laughs) in the throwback machine. I mean, that's when, you know, all the dour Scottish people used to make people memorize the catechism, right? Because that's how you could preach the gospel to yourself because literally somebody had, you know, pounded these truths into your head before you had the intellectual capacity, certainly the spiritual or emotional experience to understand them, but they were there that then you could remind yourselves of the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God that is, you know, beyond knowing. So that's good. That's good. So what are you preaching? Well, you know, I feel like, and we don't have a whole lot of time, but I feel like we kind of buried the lead here because we probably should be sharing. And I, we haven't even talked about this, about what, I mean, last week was Easter. <laughs> it feels like it was, it was like a, a whole eon ago. Um, no. But we should probably share. I want to know how Easter was for you. I want to, uh, oh. Holy Week. I mean, it was all. Yeah, well, um, Easter um, was, um, <laughs> I, I was, I was working on the message and I was going and went literally writing and just thought I had a decent idea. And in the middle of writing, the spirit gave me something else and it was, it felt good. And so I wrestled with, okay, do I just go with what I have and complete it? Or do I start over with this new idea and ultimately start over yeah i started over and um you know i as a matter of fact it, it was so see that i just would like to pause this really sincere and important thing you're saying just to point out that that never happens to me because i've never started <laughs> <laughs> procrastination for the win oh yeah and it this was this was probably Saturday around noon. <laughs> and um, and I, okay, don't judge me, but I often write with the television on. And so I, the television was on and it was on a local like PBS station and they, was, and they were doing something about the coronavirus and um, they said the word pandemic and uh the the person said you know it's not a word we use very often and so let's just talk about the word pandemic um pan means all 
pandemic means people. And so this is something that affects all people. And then a light bulb went off. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yes, this good news, this good news of the resurrection of Jesus is for all people. And so I just immediately saw a contrast of this virus causing death from people group to people group, from continent to continent, uh, spreading, but also this good news bringing life spreading. And so um, uh, my message was entitled The Easter Pandemic. And um, I, I, I was... I. I <laughs> I was so excited about it because it just, it was one of those things, and, and you know what I'm talking about, it just felt like this did not come from me. Yeah. This, yeah. And as one of my friends called me, um, uh, a friend of mine from DC uh, said, you know, I just watched her video and um, aside from, <laughs> well, here's what she said. She said, I want to let you know that um, I, I watched this video from a church in Charlotte called Dorita Church, and it was really good, except I kept feeling like the preacher's hands were going to reach through the screen and grab me. I, <laughs> I sit really close to the camera, and sometimes I reach out to the camera, and so anyway, it's just a big joke. But she also said, my friend also said, um, pro- it's probably only a preacher that could get away with using the words Easter and pandemic together. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. only a preacher. And that says something about the nature, the power of the gospel. Um, and so I, I really appreciated that. So uh, overall, I was just really, really uh, pleased. We began our worship video with a, um, uh, a panoramic of the Charlotte uh, skyline. And I just kind of did a voiceover that said, you know, this year Easter is different. This year, you know, we rediscover that it's not about eggs or bunnies or chocolate or new suits or new dresses. And then the video moved to our church campus, just the outside of the building, and then slowly into the inside of the building. And we have this um, on the on the platform, one of our members made, it's probably seven or eight feet wide, about four, no, maybe about, well, three or four feet tall, um, uh, the, the name Jesus in wood uh, with, with lights uh, around the letters. And so um, the, the voiceover says, this year we rediscover that it's all about Jesus. And at that point, you get to the Jesus sign in our sanctuary. And I, I was just really happy with how that first... I think it lasted for about a minute. That first minute of of the video, um, the worship video, turned out. So um, overall, I was I was very very happy. That's How about great. you? Well, I, I would just say about what you're thinking is a. I mean, not for nothing. All joking aside, I do think that it takes a certain amount of desperation to really hear from the Holy Spirit. I mean, just this idea of like, I believe that there is something life-giving and transformative and powerful here. And I've read these words and other people have read these words so many times, but I believe that this moment in time for these people in this space is alive and pregnant. And I don't want to be interesting and I don't want to be right and I don't want to 
be a good preacher. I want the gospel to be real and good and powerful in this moment. And I think, you know, the gospel is not reasonable. And so if you don't have a certain level of desperation, Mm -hmm. then it's easy to sort of dismiss things that the Holy Spirit gives you as like, you know, too radical in poor Tate. I mean, you know, like you could see how you could talk yourself out of preaching that message, not just because you've already. I was nervous. I was, my thinking was, will people misunderstand what I'm saying here? Will people think that I am discounting the pain that people are going through by saying, oh, but there's an Easter. For a moment, it felt too, it, it felt a little trite. Um, Right. But I think, I mean, to be able to say the reality is that is the message of Easter, that death is real. And this is the answer. And that's, you know, again, not familiar with that word pandemic, but that that's the literal Greek meaning of the word. And that is the proclamation. And to say, you know, to see the, I mean, it's just interesting because, and you and I talked a little bit earlier in the week that like, I'm going to do Jesus breaking into the locked room and breathing on people um, this week, because it's the same idea that this breath of Jesus, I mean, it's literally Jesus is infecting them with his holiness, with his goodness, with his power. And that is, you know, it's not a coincidence. It's not, it's not that the, that truth hasn't always been there in the gospel. It's just that we haven't seen it I mean, we haven't seen it in the same way because of what we're experiencing right now. We're experiencing the power of contagion in a negative way. And it's really important, not in a trite way, but that we really understand that that this is the gospel that we carry, that it really is this outrageously good. Um, and that's, you know, that's, I mean, that's a really bold thing to say, but we don't, I mean, this is the gospel isn't a code of conduct. It's a radical message of transformation. And if it doesn't feel a little bit dangerous, mm. it's been domesticated. Mm. So yeah, I think that's great. But my takeaway is gonna be procrastination for the win. <laughs> what? Yeah, Come I'm on. just I'm just laughing that you were like, well, I was already writing at noon on Saturday. And I will say I I mean, I've talked about this many times, but I I work on my sermon all through the week, but I don't write until Sunday mornings. And I'm not, I mean, it just is what it is. But I will say that these, these weeks, it has been even harder because even though I'm not writing, I'm like mentally writing, like I'm talking through things in my head and blocking it out and thinking about what the points and how it's connected and, you know, reading, thinking, pattern making. I mean, all of that stuff is just harder right now, just with the change of routine. Like I'm not slipping away to the seminary library for three hours to drink coffee where no one talks to me. And like, I'm just laughing that I would get annoyed in the seminary library because somebody at the table next to me would have a laptop and they would be typing too loudly. And I would be annoyed because I couldn't concentrate. And now I'm home with these crazies and it, you know, and I, Anyway, whatever. I'm spoiled and blessed. But I'm just saying, like, I've already been a late person, but I have not had, like, my process, which I really depend on. So you you were writing on Saturday. I swear it was, like, 
Saturday after midnight where I still am like, all right, I got to figure this out. Like I got to figure out what, what the word is for um, Sunday morning. So anyway. Yeah. And, but remember you are still going live on Sundays. I have to have a video uploaded by Sunday morning. And so I've got to record a sermon by Saturday afternoon so that I can edit with the music and prayers so and then grateful. upload. I'm so grateful so, I don't have to do yeah. that. You know, so, <laughs> so, so but, yeah. but the, the great thing is, you know, Sunday morning, it's gathered with the family yeah. and enjoy. Uh, yeah. But uh, it does require, um, you know, you, you got to get it done. You got to get yeah. it done. And so. Well, and I do think, I mean, not for nothing, but like, I think one, sometimes part of my, procrastination process is because, you know, you haven't had that pandemic moment, right? Like you haven't had this insight that didn't come from a book and didn't, you know, this moment where you were like, oh, that's the thing. Like, that's the truth. That's the idea. That's the powerful revelation that I can build up to or build this thing around. And like, you you can't really do anything until you have it. So I, anyway, Sunday night, Saturday night, us hiding Easter eggs and stuff in Easter baskets and watching Saturday Night Live because I didn't have it, so couldn't do anything about it. So anyway, um, this Sunday, like I said, I'm going to do that John text and talk about um, the breath of Jesus who does not social distance. I think I'm going to join you in that. I've been looking at that text and... um, uh, I do just love, I love, love, love this image of Jesus breathing on people in this season where we're wearing masks. Yeah. Uh, yeah because yeah. Bre- breath, oh, oh, here, here, here is the line. Breath is dangerous. Breath yeah. is dangerous. And yeah. um, so Jesus breathing on people is just, that just has captured my imagination. Well, and, I just think it's important to point out that it's not just like this idea of the holiness and goodness of God being contagious. Mm. I mean, that doesn't start with the gospel, right? I mean, it, it builds off of, you know, just sort of um, millennia of experience of people used to, you know, you feared going near the temple of the little G gods, you know, you, you I mean, even you have like Isaiah coming to the temple and saying like, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips. And I, you know, people having this idea that if I see God, I'll be struck dead. I mean, just this idea that like human life is so, you know, fallen and base that it's just destroyed by the sheer goodness of God. And so the whole way that that is flipped in Jesus. And that, you know, that's really important. And I think some of that really primitive idea of like, I don't want to get too close to God, or I I would be destroyed by the holiness of God, or I need to keep my distance, or I need to like, you know, um, you know, walk a thousand miles on thumbtacks in order to prove my worthiness or a I mean, all, all of that stuff, we still carry it with us kind of in our deep DNA. And so being able to say, you know, not only do you not have to 
swim through a river of blood and fight alligators and dragons to get near the presence of God, that God is breaking in to where you are and you don't have to earn this, even ask for it, even understand it, that God is just infecting you. And, and yeah, in this moment where we see the power of infection for evil, it's such good news. If we could be a people who would really understand that that's the way that God works and we can be a part of that. And um, just as you have no idea what kind of destruction and harm viral particles in your breath might do to other people, that it would have a power that wasn't from you or from your will, that there's a spiritual particles of within that, that could have that same kind of, you know, outsized transformative effect in the world. Like that's just something really See that incredible. right there. That, that'll, that'll make Pentecostal start shouting right there. That's good stuff. I mean, that's, well, I mean <laughs> that's, that's what we, I mean, that is traditional. That's what I'm saying. Christian belief. I, no, know, I, know. Right? I know, I know you and me, we are just like, preaching to our choirs. Well, and <laughs> here, here's a place where, okay, here we go again. Here's a place where theologian, uh, biblical scholar N.T. Wright is really helpful. at least to me it's like look you can you can read the text as human beings sinful human beings trying to work their way to a holy god so it's really about a holy god finding a way to dwell with sinful human beings yeah it's god saying i love you i want to be close to you i want to dwell with you but my holiness would consume you this was not be good would not be good and so i have to find a way to be with you so that my holiness infects you changes you so that we can be together because god's love wants to reach out to us and to and to 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 fellowship and to be with us and i i think that's just really beautiful and and I mean, is consistent with the revelation of the fullness of scripture, right? That like God never yes. asked anybody to build him a temple, right? Like God is tabernacling. God is moving in the world. Just, you know, Abram is wandering around, like picking his teeth and God shows up and taps him on the shoulders and says, Hey, you, I'm picking you, right? Like Abram's not on any kind of spiritual journey or quest. This happens to him and through him, but not by him. And, you know, God is perfectly content and willing to be in this tabernacle and wandering around in the wilderness, wherever they are is where he will be. And it's, and it's, you know, the Egypt in the chosen people who says, no, 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 we need to build you this big, impressive, settled temple where we can contain you. And I mean, you know, it's just us never understanding how God wanted to be that God wanted to walk in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve, who were so vulnerable, they weren't even wearing clothing because that was the level of intimacy and and just gift of presence that God wanted to give. And, and we continually distort and misunderstand and pervert um, the relationship that we were we were given, that that we earned, that we were given. So we need yeah. to stop talking. It's been a long podcast every time we start i'm like let's just do a short one this time (laughs) 
Yeah. Right. So the takeaway is, Yolanda, if you could just talk less, because you're... Uh, oh, yes. I, oh, yeah. of I course. Mean, I'm just acknowledging the irony of me saying, these things are going really long. <laughs> anyway, if you're still listening, we're glad you're still listening, because clearly we're still talking. And if you want to find out more information about everything that Derrida is that, that, that Yolando is doing at Derrida. You should check out Derrida Church. You could Google them in Charlotte. Check out their YouTube channel because there's lots of great videos that um, Yolando has been making, many of them featuring at least the voice of his son, Matthew. And you can hear his messages on the Podbean um, website. Just search for Derrida Church. And if you want to learn more about The Grove, it is thegrovecharlotte.org. That's our website, and you can find our um, message podcast thanks to the really kind labor of our friend Ryan Rich. They are on iTunes. You can search for the Grove Charlotte um, podcast, and we will um, talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.